0: Hey, I'm Steve Follin. Thanks for listening. This time, let's find out what it's like being freelance for virtual assistant Annie Brown.
1: Community actually is really important when you're working for yourself. And I think there's this huge misconception that working for yourself means working by yourself. I'm putting pressure on myself to make sure, you know, my kids have everything they need and, and home has everything it needs and my husband has everything he needs and my clients have what they need, but I'm last on the list. And it's taken me a long time to realise that actually, in this whole scenario, I am the central cog. I have to look after myself in order to be able to fulfil the needs of everybody, business and home. So I've made sure now that I do take time for myself.
0: So there is Annie. Is she I, I'm trying to think whether she's the first virtual assistant we've had on. Maybe. As you may have seen on my vlog, last year was the first year where... I hired a virtual assistant to help me. Like we often hear guests on this on this show talk about, you know, uh, the fact that they get help with their emails or their financing or finding certain things, you know, like using a virtual assistant. And yeah, I finally got around to hiring one last year and it made such a difference. I recommend it. it wasn't Annie but I was following quite a lot of them on on Twitter, and Annie is involved with freelance heroes as well, which you may have heard of, uh, particularly here in the UK. So anyway, we'll chat all about that. But don't forget, to go to beingfreelance.com. There's over a hundred guests that you can enjoy and that you can search. We've got the podcast, we've got the transcriptions if uh, if you want to read through as well. Uh, what else have we got? Oh, the vlog and the newsletter. Yeah, take a look. It's all at beingfreelance. Dot com. And on Twitter, we are at Being Freelance and you can also find me on Instagram, S Folland. Yeah, go find me there. I'm I'm loving Instagram stories. It It is a, I'm having to force myself away from them though, because I, I found like genuinely, I, I don't really watch TV. I quite happily just watch Instagram stories. I like it a lot. Anyway, right, let's crack on and find out what it's like being freelance for virtual assistant Annie Brown. Hey Annie. Hi, how are you? I'm good, thanks for doing this. No problem. So how about we get started hearing how you got started being freelance?
1: Okay, well I guess my freelance journey has been a very um, gradual progression. I guess in one way or another I was always sort of self-employed so straight out of university I went into a full-time position in a serviced office centre and found myself making and selling cakes to the little cafe that was in the reception area (laughs) Um, just because I love cake and anyone who knows me will know that that was sort of where my passion for that started after doing like a a sugar decorating course and then I moved away from that was in Sheffield and then I, I moved away and I was lucky that the owner of that business allowed me to continue my marketing efforts for the company from home in Cambridge whilst I sort of set up home. So I had a little bit of a taster of, of what it was like to work from home rather than be self-employed again there. And then I found myself a full-time job and I started working as a PA. And then I had a baby. And I, and I suppose having children was sort of like the the turning moment for me, really. I had my baby and I, I went back to work and I my work position became a job share, which didn't really work for the position that I was in. And I started to train as a childminder on the side, which is a, a little bit random, but I just felt like it was the right thing to do at the time. And then I started my craft blog. And with my full-time position, I guess one thing led to another there. I became pregnant again and had a few health issues. Um, my husband had a turn of ill health. And things just weren't right. I, I didn't feel like I was giving all in my job and I, I wasn't giving all at home. My child, I didn't feel, was getting what he needed from me as a mother. And so I, I handed him my notice with no real plan other than to be a childminder. And unfortunately, I lost the baby that I was um, pregnant with at the time. And I, st- I threw myself into childminding in my craft work, really. And I, I, I sort of started setting up a social enterprise and working with lots of craft businesses and blogging and setting up craft groups and craft workshops. And it was all, you know, based around craft for therapy. And sort of that's where I was really going with it all. And then a sort of life-changing moment for everybody, I think, was our move from Cambridge to Wales. And I found myself in a position of not knowing the market. I didn't know anybody. I have no family here. And I didn't know what to do. And in my networking with all the craft businesses over the the past year or so, I had found people saying to me, oh, you know, I really need help with my Twitter. Can you show me how to use Twitter? Or I really need help with blogging. Can you help me with this? And you know, people saying things like, oh, you should do this for a living. And I I guess that was always in the back of my head. And so I think one afternoon, whilst tidying up my little boy's bedroom, I just sort of, you know, I had been toying with the idea, do I go back to work full time? Do I get a job and go back to work full time? Or do I try and make something of this and become self-employed? And where I live in Wales, it's, it's not an easy commute to anywhere that would have a job that was worth it in the end with regards to childcare. And I just found it was an impossible venture to become employed again with the cost of childcare. And so, yeah, one afternoon I was just sitting in my little boy's bedroom tidying up and just decided I'm going to do this. And I went into the little room in the back and got my laptop out and set up a Twitter account and set up Hello My PA. (laughs) Wow. I
0: mean, it's an amazing story, but I I love that turn of right I'm going to take action I'm going to do this
1: yeah it it was literally just in that moment it had been leading up like ever since I'd left this this company in Sheffield and all my time at Cambridge my old boss who I was actually really good friends with kept saying you know you should do this you should work from home and and help people with this stuff and it had always been in the back of my mind and I don't really know what what snapped in me that day but I just I'm just going to do it. Let's just do it.
0: And just to put this in perspective, when was that? When did you start Hello My PA?
1: So that was um, 2015. So that moment was in, I think, April, May time. And I didn't actually send my first invoice or anything like that until July. So officially I say Hello My PA started in July because that's when I had my first bit of paid work. But that moment, that decision was in May 2015. And it was, we moved to Wales in October 2014. So it wasn't too long after we'd moved.
0: And you decided straight away to go with a sort of a brand name, a company name, if you like, rather than just Annie Brown virtual assistant.
1: Yeah, I did. And this is something I've been thinking a lot about recently because I don't ever really I never created like a, a marketing strategy as such in terms of promoting my brand and creating a brand. And whenever I talk to people or whenever I sign off things, I always refer to myself as Annie B. I'm a virtual assistant. I'm always very personal about it. But I guess in the beginning, I sort of saw businesses grow from one person, you know, like a freelance lifestyle business, if you like, to a brand with a team. And I always thought I'd love to be able to create jobs and and have a small team of people. And as time has gone on, I I have toyed with that idea. I was very close to employing somebody um, towards the end of last year. And I, I'm not really sure I want to go down that route now or or if that is what I'm going to do. But I always just wanted to have that option, I guess, of, of it being a brand.
0: So how did you go about getting those first clients now that you'd decided this is what I'm going to do?
1: So in my networking with craft businesses, I when I say networking, I was working with brands um, on the blog and I was covering events like um, ICHF Crafts at um, the NEC in Birmingham. I would go there and meet lots of businesses and and connect with people and I ran craft fair so I had a big database of you know people who would come to my craft fairs like small craft businesses. And so I had this network of people and I had my a network of bloggers as well. And so rather than try and start from scratch and think, right, this is gonna be my market and this is where I'm gonna find customers, I made the most of what I had. So on that very first day, I created a market research survey and I put together everything I wanted to know about what people would find useful about this service that I wanted. At that time, I didn't know that virtual assistants were a thing, I hasten to add. I didn't know that there was this massive VA industry. I hadn't looked into it in that much detail. I just knew that I had these skills that people were looking for. And so I sent this market research survey out to all of my contacts and, you know, all these small businesses in Cambridge and and these people that I'd met at these events. And I asked them to fill out this survey and For everybody who filled out the survey, I would enter them into a prize draw to have a four-hour session from me with, you know, helping them with whatever they needed help with, a PA for the day, I I phrased it as. And um, I had something like 200 responses because people forwarded it on, people filled it out, I shared it where I could. And the four people that I, you know, drew to have these services became clients. And the rest, going forward, the rest of my clients were then referrals from those people.
0: Fantastic. So not only did you get a minefield of information, but it publicised what you were doing and yeah. actually bought your first clients.
1: It did. It was really, really hard work because I really did proactively go out and, and contact. And I did, I didn't blanket anybody, like blanket email anyone. I didn't spam anyone. I sent everybody like personal emails and said, I've decided to do this. This is what I'm going to do. Please take a look at the survey and fill it out if you've got two minutes. And yeah, it was, you know, people were really supportive of that. And my niche with regards to my Target market has now has now moved slightly in terms of the services that I'm offering, but I didn't see the point in trying to create a new market for myself when I had this wealth of contacts and network. Um, I just felt it was important to make the most of that.
0: Yeah, so your craft blog had created this audience. So, so that had actually grown pretty big in itself, had it?
1: It wasn't huge. It wasn't huge. I d- it wasn't massive. But but the, the the people that I networked with and spoke with. I was close with you know so mm. it, it was it was more about the quality of the contacts that I had rather than the quantity it's always been that for me like I I I'm, I'm really passionate about like customer experience and and you know the experience that somebody has with you as a person or a brand or a blog or whatever and, and I and I I feel like it was a personable thing for me
0: so true isn't it like 10 people who actually care about what you're doing is worth more than mm. a thousand who like kind of yeah <laughs>
1: yeah it is and it's the quality of that experience that those people have with you
0: how do you give a a great customer experience What, what what does that look like
1: um i believe in really good communication first of all i keep that balance of you're not my friend you are my client so i think it's really important to have that balance and set boundaries you are open and honest and available when you you know within reason and I'm really passionate about helping my clients. Being supportive on a whole is really important to me, you know, helping them to achieve their goals. And, and that for me is is um, is how I give, you know, that good customer experience and, and really good manners. Always have good manners. That's like top of my list.
0: <laughs> how do you manage your time? So here you are helping other people manage theirs. How do you manage yours?
1: Mm. With difficulty. <laughs> I have two very young children and I have a husband who is an academic and is always away. Well, not always, but he, he travels a lot. And so it's a it's a huge balance and act for me. And and at first I regrettably watched what other people were doing, saying things like, you know, that they were working at home with their children like 24-7 and, and this, but I, I just couldn't work like that. So now I have set hours in the week where I work for my retainer clients so I have a co-working space that I come into um three days a week and the other two afternoons I work from home with my little boy that I have you know the mornings where he's at school but I I basically split out my time so I have my retained client hours where I will my children are in nursery or care and I will be available to my clients from my office and then the rest of my time like my own business building stuff is then worked around family so it's it's making, you know, setting those boundaries and trying to figure out that work-life balance for me is very important.
0: Mm. And and with the co-working space, like, was that something you you kind of did straight away? Or did you think I just need to get out of the house? Or like, what? How did that come about?
1: I actually looked for a co-working space, I think, before I even moved to Wales. So when I was in Cambridge, I I started going to a co-working space that's run by Ed Goodman. I was using that co-working space when I was doing my blogging work and setting up my social enterprise. So I knew that these places exist. My first job was in a serviced office centre, so I always knew that you know, there were communities and places where you could hire an office. And when I became a virtual assistant, I found that I was very easily distracted by the washing and the dishes and the hoovering and the other things that might need doing that I could do because I was at home. And I was finding it difficult to separate out that work life thing that home and, and work and then it became really apparent to me that community actually is really important when you're working for yourself and I think there's this huge misconception that working for yourself means working by yourself and I'm quite a social person so I found it difficult to be at home all the time with no adult company nobody there except you know maybe some people online in the background and so I, I got funding for an office for a year in um, a place in, in Kofili down the road from me. And it's just great. I love it. There's so many people here all on the same journey, like starting up their businesses and moving their businesses forward. And it's a really collaborative community. And I feel like I've thrived since I've been here, for sure.
0: That's great. When you say you got funding, what, what do mm-hmm. you mean? Did did you start the co-working space?
1: No, no. So so the, the co-working space receives rounds of funding occasionally to fund office co-working space for businesses. So I applied to have funding for an office for a year within the co-working space. So the, the company is Welsh-Ice, the building is Welsh Ice, and Welsh-Ice received funding from the Welsh government to give twelve or a fifty startup businesses an office for a year and i and i applied for that and i was one of the people that was chosen to have an office for a year
0: cool i love it yeah. when this we've we've i keep stumbling across this the fact that actually there's organizations out there with pots of money wanting to give it to people and yeah. you kind of need to figure out who it is and where it is and how you yeah. can get your hands on it. I, like I,
1: it I couldn't believe that i i'd actually managed to convince them that i was <laughs> worthy of having that office for a year but i'm a uh, yeah, I'm coming up to the end of my, my first year here and, you know, I'm, I'll stay here. I've got my business address and my phone and my office and, um, and it's great to have this space and the community here is amazing.
0: And you're, you're part of other communities online, aren't you? I
1: am. Yes, I am. So in May 2016, Freelance Heroes, which is predominantly a Facebook group, and was set up by Ed Goodman. And in the August of that year, he asked me to help him with that community. And we are now over 2,000 members. And this is essentially a Facebook group of freelancers. The basis of it is that it's non-salesy, it's non-spammy. We are all there to support and encourage each other with our freelancing journey. It's like an empathetic community because that's really hard to find. When you start out as a freelancer, it's really hard to find that empathetic support, really, because people don't really get what you're doing. They don't really know. They're just like, when are you going back to work <laughs> or, or when you get a proper job? And so having a community that's at your fingertips, if you can't work at a co-working space or you are at home or you do find that people don't understand you, the Freelance Heroes group is um, there and it is literally just over 2,000 freelancers all in the same boat as you and it is absolutely amazing. It's got, it, we haven't advertised it, it's completely grown organically with people inviting people to the group. It was really great. Actually, last year we celebrated Freelance Heroes Day, which was a year since the group was set up. And for me, it was like a massive achievement to be at the top of the um, Twitter trends for the UK <laughs> with our hashtag. And it was just, it was just amazing to see so many... Like, the community is genuine. You know that we were saying about qu- quality over quantity. All of the members that were in that group wanted to be involved. It wasn't like everybody was just there and only half wanted to be involved. It is a really... Um, you know proactive community and it's great
0: yeah that's a special thing what would what would you say have been like the biggest challenges of being freelance
1: Hmm, it's hard to pin one down isn't it (laughs) uh i would say getting the balance right with life and work and having the confidence to know and the conviction to know what it is that you're doing and how you're going to do it trying to um do things guilt-free so trying to find the balance of like my little boy always says to me like, oh, mummy, you're always on your phone or, or uh, mummy, when you finish sending that email, can you do this? And it, it's really important, like trying to find that balance, that right life balance and separating the two two out. Because it, when you're working in a nine to five job, you go to the office and you do your work and you come home and you can switch off. But it's not really like that with freelance. And I, I always question why. Why isn't it like that? Why can't I shut my laptop at, at 5 p.m. and be done for the day? So yeah, trying to find that right balance for you personally because it's not going to be the same for everybody.
0: Do you find it possible to take a break?
1: I have to. Yeah. I I didn't in the beginning. So I am a person that is very aware of my um my limits, if you like. So in the past I've suffered with depression and it's not something I talk about a lot. Well I'm not I'm not worried to talk about it. But I, I think it's the mental health issue is is really prominent for me. And I think I was always guilty in the past of not not being aware that I needed to look after myself in order for everything else around me to run smoothly. I was always last on the list. Over time, I've sort of learned that actually I'm putting pressure on myself to make sure you know my kids have everything they need and, and home has everything it needs and my husband has everything he needs and my clients have what they need, but I'm last on the list. And it's taken me a long time to realise that actually in this whole scenario, I am the central cog. So I have to look after myself in order to be able to fulfill the needs of everybody that's around me, you know, business and home. So I've made sure now that I do take time for myself and I've actually started going to the gym quite a lot. (laughs) So I started going to the gym in October, which is a shocker probably to most people who know me because I'm not really a big fan of exercise, more cake, but (laughs) um, I go to the gym three times a week and I, I try to make time for myself. It's been a long time to learn that lesson. But um, yeah, I I make sure I make time for myself now and and take that time out.
0: Yeah. How do you find that exercise? I mean, I'm with you, by the way, on the exercise and the cake thing. But...
1: (laughs) Which one? That you should do exercise (laughs) or you should eat more cake?
0: Well, yeah. I I have been guilty for about, you know, the past, I don't know, 20 years of working or whatever, of of going for the cake over the exercise. But yeah, how, how has putting exercise into your week made you feel?
1: I you know you listen to all these people that are like oh exercise makes you feel so amazing and it's so great and you really want to do it and I'm like oh yeah and up until the point where I actually started doing the exercise and taking that break I just didn't want to hear it but now actually I so I go to the gym on a Sunday morning and I try to go on early on a morning on a Monday and a Thursday and it really does give me that it gives me like a headspace so not only do I you know the first few times you're sick of it and you don't want to do it anymore you really have to push yourself but I get this rush of in you know that rush of endorphins and I I can go to the gym and be home and and sit back down at my desk and I feel proactive like I have that headspace to be able to um, be creative if you like so it Mm. sort of um, gives me that time to think and switch off my mind from other stuff you know just be there with myself and and have my thoughts and, and you know, it, ma- it does make me more productive. I can get much more done on a morning having gone to the gym and then coming back to everything and, and know what I need to do because I've had time to just reassess everything. It really does make a difference, genuinely does make a difference. Not, I'm not just saying that I'm not trying to plug any gym or <laughs> anything like that. Like, I genuinely do feel better for it. And, you know, and because I'm, I'm burning off those calories, I can eat more cake. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Excellent. Making time for yourself first like it doesn't need to take lots of time.
1: No, just a little bit here and there. Sitting down with a cup of tea for ten minutes. Like I've always been the kind of person that would eat lunch at my desk, but now I try to come away from my desk and and just go and have a cup of tea and I sit down, even if it's just ten minutes. Just come away and reassess because if you don't, if you don't come away and, and take time to assess what it is you're doing, you just get lost in it all and then you sort of go off off task. Yeah, so it doesn't have to be a lot of time. Like, I don't spend hours in the gym. I do a circuit that's half an hour. So it's three times a week, half an hour each time. Um, It doesn't have to be an awful lot of time, but something is better than nothing, for sure.
0: Yeah, awesome. Okay, now I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself. Make two true, one a lie, and let me figure out the lie. What do you have for me?
1: Okay, I found this really difficult because I am a terrible liar, really bad. (laughs) So let's see if I can do this. So number one, I once ate breakfast with Hollywood actor Sean Bean. Number two, I was an extra in The Theory of Everything, and I made the final cut in a scene with Eddie Redmayne. And at the age of 27, I played the role of Mary in a live nativity with my youngest son playing the role of baby Jesus.
0: Oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> so where to Theory start? of Well <laughs> presuming Theory of Everything was filmed a lot in Cambridge.
1: Yeah. They did some filming in Cambridge where I was living. So the the scene that I was actually in was um, have you been to Cambridge? Do you know Cambridge as yeah, well? Yeah. Or, yeah. So you know the backs behind King's College? Like the well, where all the colleges sort of back onto the river camp. Yeah.
0: They yep. were doing
1: some filming there, so yeah, so I was—I played a part there where they did a scene. What did you have with, to do?
0: Were you pumping? I just had to walk
1: up. <laughs> no, I really—do you know? In all the time I was in Cambridge, I never went on the punts. How, how terrible is that? I know, I know. It's so bad. That's probably um, to be anyone. fair.
0: That's probably the sign of a true local. <laughs> it's uh- yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's interested. Um, I no, I just had to walk over a bridge.
0: Yeah, I I, d- d- don't undermine your role in this. Walking <laughs> over a bridge is important.
1: It was. It was. It set the scene for the background. You know, <gasps> was so was that
0: where? Was that when they had a kiss on the bridge or something like that?
1: No, no, it oh. wasn't. They, um, I can't remember the name of the other actor actually, but they where they cycled over the bridge and I was sort of in the background on the bridge.
0: How many times did you have to walk over that bridge?
1: Um, I think like.
0: Four or five. Wow. Not
1: very many.
0: Yeah, but you I wasn't that
1: important, really. I was just in the background.
0: Good bridge walker. I hope you've added that to your LinkedIn (laughs) profile. Not yet, not
1: yet.
0: (laughs) um, Well, you haven't. Maybe it's a lie. Okay, you and your son were in a live nativity.
1: Yeah, it was ridiculous. What happened? (laughs) Um, I was asked to be part of a live nativity. And I thought that that meant that I would just sit as Mary and, and... be outside the church at Sydney Sussex College my my husband was a fellow there um, and I thought I would just sit outside and we would just be there while people were walking in um, but it turned out that actually I would be up on the altar with my husband <laughs> playing the role of Joseph my eldest being a shepherd and my <laughs> newborn baby being passed to me halfway through um, and I have to add there was <laughs> When I went to... I had to actually walk because it was an actual active thing, so they were doing the carols and I had to come in and walk down the middle of the, the church with, and sit. And as I was standing outside, a woman handed me... I'd seen this live donkey outside and I thought, what's that doing here? She handed me the rope to a donkey. I had to walk down the aisle of the church holding a donkey. A real live donkey. Ridiculous. <gasps> um,
0: OK. Did you get to keep the gold frankincense and myrrh?
1: No, no, uh-huh. there was no girlfriend consensus. No, I just had to, you know, sit sit there.
0: OK, late. you had breakfast with Sean Bean. So
1: I lived in Sheffield for a few years and my husband rented a house from Sean Bean's nephew. <laughs> and we were sitting having breakfast in a little backstreet pub in Sheffield and this guy came in with Sean Bean because he'd been to this award ceremony thing. He'd come in and, and this guy was making small talk with my husband while Sean Bean was just sort of standing there looking at the pictures on the wall behind us and his nephew didn't actually directly introduce us or make any introductions, it was so awkward. <laughs> um, and then they sat on the table next to us and had their breakfast and his nephew was sort of making idle chit-chat with my husband so technically I, I had breakfast with Sean Bean.
0: These are, all, these are weird because... <laughs> I'm not sure where on earth Sean Bean comes from if that isn't true. Theory of everything. Because you lived in Cambridge, you thought I could have been an extra. Nativity. There's quite a lot of detail in there. Oh God, I don't know. Um, oh right I'm gonna say theory of everything is the lie.
1: Yeah, I wasn't an extra in the theory of everything.
0: Yes. <laughs> you know what I it is. I really
1: thought I would. Ha- I thought if I could convince you that that was true, this would be like the ultimate trick. Because I'm such a bad liar. <laughs>
0: No, I mean, I totally believed you. But out of those three, it just seemed like the most easy to make up. I think oh, that's what it is. It. You told the story very well, but I wanted Sean Bean to be true. It um, was true.
1: It was true. And and to this day, it, it, my husband has never forgiven me because I wouldn't let him ask for Sean Bean's autograph. I, I was just like, mate, he's just a man having his breakfast in the pub, leave him alone. <laughs> It's so random, so random.
0: If you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that be?
1: You can do it. Yeah, you can do it. I think when you start out as a freelancer, unless you're already in the communities of people that are doing the same thing, you don't have that... I didn't have that sort of supportive voice in my ear telling me that actually you will be able to do this. To the point of actually a couple of months in, I took a, a position... Uh, some council officers down the road from me for six months and I hated it but I you know I I, I didn't have that confidence in myself and I, and I know that's really cliche and I, I probably think that most of your guests on this podcast will all say the same thing I would go back and tell myself you can do this you know have the confidence and believe in yourself but I, I do think that that is what freelancers starting out need to hear I think they need that and that that's why I you know value the freelance heroes group so much is because as a freelancer starting out there are lots of people in there that are going to give you that, that support.
0: Yeah. It's like that period, you know, after the initial excitement of starting where it can be a struggle for a bit, but you come out the other side.
1: Yeah. I took my first client in the July and a job came up down the road from me. And it was literally like a two minute drive from my house. And I, I had a wobble and I thought, you know, actually, if I could have a job down the road here, that would be ideal. And it was only a six-month contract, so I, I sort of took it thinking, oh, I'm just going to test this and see what what I want to do. So I, work, I, I did my freelance work on the side, and I, I worked this job, and I put some money aside while I was working for childcare, because I knew when that contract came to an end, if I decided to go back to being freelance, I would need to have childcare so that I could focus on my business, I couldn't build a business. You know, people do build businesses around children, don't get me wrong, but like for me, I needed to have that head that headspace to be able to really focus on doing what I needed to do. And at the end of that six months, I was offered a full-time position. And I think by that time I'd restored confidence in myself and my abilities and realised that what I was doing was something I truly believed in doing. And I I genuinely wanted to help people to achieve their goals and I knew that I could do it, and so that made it clear to me that, that this was what, what I was going to do. And, and it gave me that boost of confidence. Um, and so I said no to that job and continued being freelance. And I'm glad that I did.
0: <laughs> Yay. It's, it's, it's a good point. Is It's a nice thing, actually, is that that difference of, I guess, working in a company maybe, and this isn't always true, but working in a company and you're just sort of helping that company. But as well as the flexibility that being freelance has given you, it's also... Mm. It, it makes that direct connection to you can see what your work is doing, this difference that it kinda of makes in a way that maybe you yes. don't get in a in a company role.
1: Yeah. I mean the, the the people that I were working for, they they were doing really good work in the community, don't get me wrong, and, and I felt good that I was supporting that, that those efforts. But with my job, I have six clients on retainer and every week one of those clients will have something that they've achieved and i and i am not taking credit for that but i've helped them to achieve that by taking something off of their plate so that they can focus on that it genuinely is pleasing to me like I, I enjoy that i love to help people and i love to see people progressing and in doing that i'm also progressing myself and when i look back over actually what i have achieved in a short space of time for me personally with with you know the barriers that i have with you know children and, and child care and things it's It's amazing, yeah.
0: Annie, thank you so much. Go to beingfreelance.com, and there'll be links through to Annie's site and also to Freelance Heroes, things like Twitter, so you can reach out to Annie if you want to. beingfreelance.com. While you're there, sign up to the mailing list. Check out the vlog where I chart my freelance week. And, well, what's the other one? Um, oh, yes, of course, over 100 guests. <laughs> <It's> just a small <laughs> idiot. Uh, yeah, all these other guests and their stories. Remember, it's not. it, it doesn't matter what their role is. It's more about the being freelance and and how they get by. And, Annie, it's been great hearing how you've done and, and how well it's going. And, yeah, all the best being freelance.
1: It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much.